you're king of the hill. You're basically the best CMO in all of Silicon Valley. Let's just, we'll put the Mississippi between you and I, right? So um, you're the best CMO in all of Silicon Valley. You're killing it at Zendesk. You have this awesome IPO. Your market cap is like $1.7 billion, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to go join this company that everyone has heard of that has no one in marketing and I'm going to go be their CMO. Like, isn't that the definition of crazy? Like, why would you ever take that job? Like, don't, like the dream job for a CMO is to go to a company that has an awesome product, 10 customers that really love it, and no one in the world has heard of it. And all you need to do is get a few more people to heard of it, and then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're like a god at that company, right? But you, went, you, you basically went and did the opposite. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, it does sound a little crazy from that standpoint. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Growth Show, uh, produced by Dave Gerhardt. And I'm Mike Volpe, the CMO here at HubSpot. And I'm really excited to be joined today by Bill Mesitas. He's currently the CMO at Slack, but he's worked at a number of other fast growth companies. He was CMO at Zendesk and took them through their IPO. And before then, he was SVP of online marketing and operations at Salesforce for a long time and helped grow their revenue a ton. And so, Bill, thanks for being on the show. Really happy to have you here. Yeah, hey Mike, happy to be here as well. So, uh, just give us a little bit of sense, like for where you are right now. Like, what? So, what is Slack? Yeah, sure. So, it's it's a difficult one to explain in fifteen seconds, and I know that is my job as a marketer. I'll, I'll try to keep it in under sixty, but you know, basically, at its core, Slack is a messaging app for Teams. So, it brings together all of your Teams communications in one place. Everything is archived and searchable, um, and integrates with all the popular business applications. So what we found is like a lot of teams today, when we ask them, like, hey, what tools do you use to communicate with your teammates? They're using just a smorgasbord of tools. They're using Outlook or Gmail, Skype, you know, AIM, Yahoo Messenger, Google Chat, or even text messages. Uh, and in addition, you've got this other tidal wave of all these best-of-breed cloud apps coming out. You've got the Google Docs, the Zendesk, the Asana, the Trello, the Dropboxes, the GitHubs. And so it means those communications are even more fractured. And so I think today what's happening is you've got these People that are just uh, drowning in this overflowing inboxes, scatter tools where communications are really siloed and hard to find. And so, you know, it's like we're trying to change that by bringing everything together in one place. Uh, it removes a lot of the friction. It improves efficiency. It increases transparency. And our mission is to make your working life simpler, more pleasant, and more productive. So that's the uh, what is Slack in 60 seconds. Perfect. Love it. I think we can all relate to that sort of overwhelming amount of communication we're receiving and, <laughs> and having the, this idea of being able to streamline and manage that more appropriately and, and be more productive with the amount of communication and what we're doing with it would be awesome. Yeah. Now, I want to talk a lot about Slack. But before I go there, I want to go, sort of wind the page back about kind of how you ended up there and what you were doing before. So Zendesk. Uh, yep. You know, so cust- you know, customer service software, awesome company, grew a ton, um, still growing. You know, had a successful IPO last year. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of like Zendesk and what were some of the keys to growth there? Because you were there for sort of a long time and kind of one of the big drivers behind their growth. Yeah, so it was interesting. Zendesk actually had a lot of similarities to Slack in that when I joined, they were primarily word of mouth growth. And that had served them incredibly well. And I think, you know, Zendesk, like a lot of the startups out there that we see in the, in the cloud space, 
um, start off with VSB, slowly start to move the SMB. And when I got there, they were just starting to make that transition to mid-market enterprise. Um, and so a lot of what we did was um, I came in and really built that marketing tech stack from the ground up um, and just put as best of free tools to allow us to really leverage um, a lot of the inbound marketing tools that I believe in, you know, content marketing, um, providing a great experience for its users, but also leveraging the hyper-targeting tools that are available today on the advertising side to where you can target, you know, people by title, by role, by function, by geo, by segment. Um, you can even target individual companies, which is something we've been experimented with. So um, for me, it was a really fun time to help build that marketing work from scratch, kind of decide what are those best best of breed teams we're going to build out, what does that org structure look like, and what are the strategies we're going to use to successfully allow us to move up market. So tell us a little bit more about that, because I think, uh, you know, the classic wisdom is definitely like, oh, yeah, fine, you know, march your way up to the enterprise. But, yeah. I, you know, I think at the same time, you know, Zendesk still is a gigantic kind of, you know, mid-market and SMB business. Yeah. Um, you know, did, did you, how did you think about moving up into the enterprise as one of the growth strategies? Was it one of those where that's going to be the new focus of the company and we're not going to worry about the rest of the business? Because, you know, you also kind of had, you know, some efforts around freemium and cheapium and all those yeah. types of things. Like, how did you balance kind of like, you know, the mainstream usage versus, you know, hyper-targeting kind of very large under enterprises? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult decision and it's a difficult process. And I, I think a lot of companies... Um, encounter that, you know, as they start to grow and evolve and move up market. Um, you know, I've always said organic traffic is great, but it's like this, you know, amorphous, you know, blog that just kind of like goes into different segments and geos and you're always kind of surprised by where you're growing organically. And, and sometimes it's where you want to grow and sometimes it's where you, you know, where you're not. And so we tried to leverage um, a lot of our paid advertising and inbound efforts to help get us into new verticals, new segments, new geos, where we just didn't have a strong organic base. That makes a ton of sense. Tell us a little bit more about sort of the the product and marketing sort of interactions at, you know, let's even just stay with Zendesk for a minute, because I yeah. think that a lot, you know, there was a fair amount of growth that I felt like at Zendesk was driven by, you know, as you said, customer referrals and sort of that great product experience. Like what was the interaction and feedback loop like between product and marketing? Yes, I think, you know, product and marketing is one of those partnerships you, you just you have to have and you have to build up. I, I think maybe one of the areas we struggled early on was as we started to move up to the mid-market and we started to accelerate the sales team, you know, we get, we started getting just a lot of feature requests uh, from sales. And, and and God bless my brothers in sales. You know, we've never lost a deal because of uh, <laughs> any sales uh, person. It was always because we were missing a feature, right? And so you end up getting this avalanche of kind of one-off feature requests that come in. And, you know, the risk there is that you've got a pretty bloated product, right? You start to just build the triple regression forecasting that only GE is going to use, right? And no one else is going to use them before you know it. Before you know it, this beautifully simple product that you have um, has features left and right. It, it, it moves from, you know, you just want to crop a photo and all of a sudden you have Photoshop and you can't even find like where that simple, where that simple crop is. Um, so one of the things that we evolved to, and it was part of our evolution to really becoming a truly customer-centric company was we really embraced uh, NPS or Net Promoter Score. And one of the best things we got about that, and, and I'm sure many people in the you know the audience knows about NPS, but it simply asks people, you know, how likely are you to recommend send us to a friend or colleague, scale of one to ten. So tell us a little bit more about that NPS process, because I think it's very interesting because we do something, I don't know if it's similar or not, but we we do we use NPS a ton here at HubSpot and we actually we have separated our customer base into six different segments, and yeah. then we actually survey each of them with an NPS 
uh, twice a year. So basically we get yep. data every single month, but each individual customer only gets asked twice a year. And then we actually, we, we look at the data a little bit monthly, but we also do this bigger roll up each quarter. And we do, it sounds like some similar things where we take all the detractors and look at the reasons why they're detractors and yep. try to put that stuff into buckets and make sense of it. Same thing for the promoters. And we try to compare those two. And then we also also do some slicing by customer size and geo and other things like that. So some similar stuff, but uh, you know, we we haven't yet decided to like go attack the big enterprises. We're trying to stay put in yeah, this awesome yeah. mid market. How did you use MPS as a way to not get sucked into building those you know unique features for GE or GM or IBM or any other you know um, really big companies that just have initials as their names, right? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like how do you how do you how do you use that as a way to sort of you know not not get sucked down that you know building the one feature for the one company because they're five yeah. percent of your revenue, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, th I think that's awesome that you guys, you know, really embrace it too. And, and we actually, have a, we had a very similar methodology in that we would survey everyone. Um, you would only get asked twice a year. Um, and then we'd have just kind of an ongoing pulse of where the score was going. Um, I think part of it is just by, by asking everyone, you have a really good, you know, whatever, hundred <laughs> percent statistically significant sample because you're asking everyone on just what are the commonalities across the segments. And the interesting thing for us was like, Hey, you know, performance mattered as much for the enterprise as it did for the VSV, you know, and you forget, like, if you're a customer support agent, that's a really hard job. You know, one, it's just a hard job because, you know, <laughs> you're just getting people that have problems and issues like every day, like eight to 10 hours, 12 hours a day. You're just dealing with that. And the difference of a screen loading in a half second or two seconds, you know, really adds up. Right. And so um, I, I think, again, by just by serving everyone, it allowed us to see the common pain points um, or like on the flip side, like, what did they want to see? Like, what do you love about me? Or, Hey, a lot, when we get a lot of those, like, I love you guys, but I wish, I wish you just had this. And so we could start to see from the pain points and what they wanted, what were more of the commonalities that applied to all of them. Um, and, and certainly as you move up in the enterprise, you're going to have to do some things around security. Um, you know, thinking about how you do the legal, thinking about how you do the supports and the onboarding, and those are going to be different and, and you have to map those out. Uh, but I think, Part of the appeal of Zendesk has always been that it was just this beautifully simple product. And when you looked at a lot of the existing solutions out there, I mean, people were just using this crap from, you know, SAP and Oracle and these systems that you required like a 400 page manual on how to use. And I, I think sometimes, you know, you can't underestimate the appeal of just having a beautifully simple product that does a couple of things really well than just trying to offer the kitchen sink. And, and a lot of enterprises don't need the kitchen sink. Yeah, it's it's really funny. I feel like a lot of the big enterprises they buy the kitchen sink because it's on their checklist of things that they've been told yeah. to ask for, maybe even by a big analyst firm or something like that. And then literally they never use the kitchen sink. I totally agree with you. <laughs> I totally really agree. Yeah, and I think you see that happening because, you know, in the old model, you know, if you went up an enterprise, you would get passed over to purchasing and they would, you know, write this massive feature chart and say, we need all of this. And and I think the new world of buying is that, um, you know, you're seeing the end users buy the product. You're seeing the marketing teams buy the product. You're seeing the customer support teams buy the product because it's cloud based. You know, they can usually install it on a smaller team and try it out for free. Um, and, and so it, it's bypassing a lot of the traditional barriers that I think have been in place for a long time. Well, and again, with the SaaS model and cloud and whatever, you, the products evolve so much more quickly today that, the, yeah. you know, the purchase decision you make today, the product is going to be different and better in three or four months, not three or four years. You know, whereas, again, you know, the old school, let's just take CRM implementation. I worked at a company that bought Siebel 
way back, you know, 12 years ago. And we, <laughs> and we got a bunch of CDs and we installed them on servers. And it was like, in order to get that software to be better, it was like they had to ship you more CDs and you'd reinstall the software. So you had to make sure that thing that you bought at the beginning was really good as opposed to kind of betting on the future yeah. of a vendor and saying, hey, yeah, they don't have these two features today, but it's so much simpler to use and everyone's using it and it's the right choice. And we know they'll get there in three or six months or even three or six weeks because those those platforms evolve so much more quickly now. It's it's definitely kind of a different purchasing process for all the reasons you said and because of how fast the things sort of evolve. Yeah, isn't that amazing? God, it was just so painful. I, I, I'm just like, it, it kind of blows my mind to think back, like how painful enterprise software buying used to be and, and how much it's improved. I mean, you know, I, I think we just, we're living in the golden age of innovation. And um, I think it's making so many people's lives better from a personal standpoint, but for businesses, it's amazing that the caliber of the best to be products that are available from now in a cloud-based offering, um, the prices are dramatically lower. It's, it's just demand. And yet yeah, completely, and, and it makes that stuff so much more accessible. part of yeah, so much more accessible to like the everyday businesses, you know, just like those, those, yeah. you know, those mid-sized businesses can have the same tools that the big guys are using now. Whereas, you know, back in the day, that was so much harder to make that happen. So yeah, agreed. Uh, well, listen, yeah. I want to make sure we, we talk about uh, Slack. So, okay. So you're king of the hill. You're basically the best CMO in all of Silicon Valley. Let's just, we'll put the Mississippi between you and I, right? So um, you're the best CMO in all of Silicon Valley. You're killing it at Zendesk. You have this awesome IPO. Your market cap is like 1.7 billion, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to go join this company that everyone has heard of that has no one in marketing and I'm going to go be their CMO. Like, isn't that the definition of crazy? Like, why would you ever take that job? Like, don't, like the dream job for a CMO is to go to a company that has an awesome product, 10 customers that really love it, and no one in the world has heard of it. And all you need to do is get a few more people to heard of it, and then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're like a god at that company, right? But you, went, you, you basically went and did the opposite. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, it does sound a little crazy from that standpoint. But, um, you know, I, I think I've just, I've always loved hyper growth companies. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to just be part of some really fast growing companies. I've been fortunate to be part of uh, several exits. So, you know, finances really don't drive my decisions anymore. Uh, for me, it was more about finding a company that I could come in with a blank slate again, you know, no marketing team, build that team up, really bring in the best of breed strategies, the best of breed people. Um, and just to help accelerate that growth, you know, and I think there were a couple things that attracted me to Slack, um, you know, and I, I talked to a couple different people. I took some time off after the IPO, you know, when you're sprinting for that long, you know, I have a little four-year-old daughter and hadn't really seen her in a while. And so it was great to kind of reconnect with her. And then when I talked to some different companies, um, you know, the one thing that stood out to me for Slack was that it was so customer centric. Um, it, I'd never seen a company that was that customer centric. Everything from the metrics, the organizational structure, um, how they looked at feedback, how they integrated into the product. Um, that was just amazing. And, and, and that was something I really wanted to look for. Uh, and then I think the second thing was just a product that I believed in. You know, I just, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've, I've wasted two years of my life in status update meetings. I, mm-hmm. I feel like I have wasted untold number of hours every morning triaging through 200 emails, mostly spam, mostly other stuff. Uh, and then just here comes this new way of teams communicating with each other. And it was just so much better. Like I, I started asking some friends, I mean, I tried it out. I'm like, man, this is great. And I started asking some friends and colleagues and they're like, this is amazing. It's totally transformed how we do work. You know, we don't even use email for any of our internal communications anymore. And I was just like, wow, it's amazing. We don't do as many status update meetings. And 
I just kept talking to one person after another, and I just never seen that level of evangelism. And so, you know, for me, it was that that whole package, customer centric, really believing in the mission of the product, um, and just an opportunity to kind of reshape marketing and, and kind of evolve um, how that looks like for I think the next gen orgs that are focused on hyper growth. So for any of our listeners that haven't heard of Slack, you've maybe been uh, not exposed to sort of the, the world that, that Bill and I live in. It is definitely one of the top kind of like buzz growth stories, you know, today in the startup world. And I think you know, something like over half a million people are using Slack today. You know, Bill updated us if that's even out of date. But and, and what are the things that have driven the growth so far? How has that mix changed? Kind of unpack that whole yeah. growth story for us a little bit. Yeah, the growth has been phenomenal. I mean, I'm I'm a I consider myself a, a connoisseur of fine SaaS metrics, <laughs> and you know, when I started talking to him. I, I had never seen this. I mean, I was like, oh my god, you're getting like five, six, seven percent week over week daily active user growth, um, and it was, I mean, it was it was like you know, you see the classic hockey stick. It was a hockey stick. It just kept accelerating, accelerating. I've been here four months, and it just keeps accelerating. It's just kind of mind-boggling. Um, you know, the, the last number we reported was on our one-year anniversary, and that was the 500,000 users, um, I think about 160,000 paid accounts, 60,000 teams. Uh, but we had 12 million in ARR uh, in our first year, and um, we looked back over all the old companies and all the other cloud-based companies, and we think no one has ever done that, hitting 12 million ARR in the first year, and we're adding about a million in ARR uh, every 11 days now. Um, so it's been it's been really spectacular to be part of that. We've been like literally the fastest growing business application in history. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people ask that, like, well, like, how did that happen? Like, you know, what's going on that's driving that model? And, um, you know, there's a lot of different opinions. And, you know, uh, Stuart's gone on record. I, I think some of us are like, we don't even necessarily know 100%. You know, I think when we look back three or four years from now, we'll be like, ah, oh, that was the thing. But, you know, my, my theory in it is that it, it kind of gets back to one of the reasons I wanted to come here. It is literally the most customer-centric organization I've ever been a part of. Um, all of our metrics are around long-term metrics, are around NPS, CSAT, daily active users. Um, our pricing model, we only get paid if you actually use the product. And, and that's really, really rare in SaaS, right? Like, it, normally you buy a 1,000 seats, you know, from Salesforce, who I used to work at, and I love those guys. But you know, if you only used a hundred, you were you were on the hook for paying for those a thousand, right? And here, we only get paid if you use the product. You know, the metrics we look at are around long-term customer satisfaction. The the gold bar I think that we hold ourselves to is we don't care if we got the first sale. We don't care if if the person re, you know stayed with us or retained. We care if they recommend us, and, and, and that means that it changes the entire mindset of the organization because. You know, we've had some companies come in in the early in the early you know portion of the company's life. I mean, it's only you know a year plus old, but you know, bigger companies are like, well, we want to roll this out to ten thousand users all on a single instance. And we were like, you know what, that's not going to be a good experience right now. Um, you know, if you want, stay with us for four or five months, and you know, we're building it out, and we're going to be able to support you. Um, but you know, we were turning down some people because we're, you know, the last thing I want is ten thousand people to have a bad experience and not recommend. So. Um, everything um, in everyone uh, focuses on the higher level team metrics around our daily active users, around our NPS. Um, and then within that, um, we're always just thinking, like, put ourselves in the customer's shoes. You know, what is that experience like for them? How can we make that experience better? You know, the, to me, the most defining thing is that 
a brand doesn't come from marketing. Marketing doesn't define what a brand is. A, a brand is the sum of every single experience that someone has had with your company. And that means that every single person, every single function within the organization has a part in that. And if, if that person has a great experience, you know, when the first ad they see, they land on your website, they're watching your demo, they talk to someone in accounts or sales, the first, you know, week going through the trial, maybe they're on credit card, they switch to invoice. I mean, every single person in the company touches that. And so if they have a great experience, they're going to recommend us. And those people will go out and talk to five or 10 other people. They switch companies, they bring it with, and you just see this tidal wave of growth. Um, So I think that was one really big part of it. Probably the other big part is that uh, I equated a lot to Uber, you know, like for, for those of us that remember the years before Uber, right? dating myself in nature, but, uh, you know, when you took taxis, right. And I remember I'd have to get, you know, I got to take a taxi to the airport. And so I'm calling them, you know, some, someone pick up, I call someone else. I'm like, Hey, I got, you know, I got to go to the airport. Like how long is it going to take before the taxi arrives? Um, you know, sorry, we can't give you a time estimate. So you're waiting, you're waiting, maybe call another taxi cab because you're freaked. You're going to miss your flight. You know, you, you, you go down to the taxi, you're not sure if they're going to take credit cards. You're not sure what route they're going to take. It's smelly. They're not nice to you. It's just like, all these laden bad experiences. And then, you know, a company like Uber comes around and it changes that. Um, and I think right now in work, what's happened is that, you know, how teams communicate, there is so much laden pain. You know, email was invented like 40 years ago. It, and it's horrible. It's siloed. It's fractured. When people leave, they take all the way institutional memory with them. Um, it's just a horrible form of communication. Yet people have just kind of gotten used to it. And so when a company like Slack comes around, and it just completely transformed the organization. It transforms the work habits. They have so much more time. They're more efficient. You know, you've got these transparent organizations, meritocracy. It's it's not one or two times better. It's like ten times better. And and that just fuels that word of mouth growth. Wow, amazing. So um, I wanted to ask about something else, which is you've worked at a bunch of different companies um, back before Slack, before Zendesk, before Salesforce. So. MySpace, Fox Sports, Ask Men, Rotten Tomatoes, American Idol, yeah. you know, some Fox TV stations. What was the like most out there marketing that you've ever done? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's fun. I mean, I would encourage anybody to like bounce around a little bit between in their careers going from B2C and B2B because I think you learn so much um, depending on which side of the house you're on. Um, and you know, for us that, that was, that was maybe 10 years ago, I'm thinking. And one of the things we did was that I was, I was a really big believer in in, inbound marketing back then. Right. And the great thing about all those companies that you listed is they were all content powerhouses. They were just, you know, kicking out article after article after article, whether that was ask men, Ron tomatoes, you know, even MySpace, Fox sports, American, just great, great content. And so we created a really sophisticated cross-linking module within every single page that would basically look for keywords and phrases that existed on other pages in our site that had that content. Um, and it was just a massive boost to our SEO. Um, mm. And the good thing too was that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a shady SEO tactic. It wasn't like we were creating duplicate pages or anything like that. We were just, you know, helping users out, you know, to, to find more content that they already loved, you know, and so. Um, it was a really great um, tool for us. It helped build, I think, our, you know, at our peak, we had 170 million worldwide unique visitors. Um, and it just allowed us to be a, a powerhouse on the media side. There you go. SEO tips from the guy who believes in customer referral growth, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Fantastic. Love it. Bill, thanks a ton for being on the show. It was really, really great to have you. Uh, just awesome stories there. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me again. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Growth Show. Uh, you can find all the previous episodes on iTunes. Just search for The Growth Show. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to get a nice five-star review. Those are our favorite kind. Uh, if not, definitely send us some feedback. Let us know what we can do to improve. Uh, and then one other thing uh, this week is that we want to learn a little bit more about you, our listeners. Uh, and so we're running a quick survey. If you go to bit.ly slash growth show survey uh, to take the survey, we'd really appreciate it. We want to know more about from you guys what you want to hear in the show. That's once again, bit.ly slash growth show survey. And I had I had practiced it so much, and I was like, and blah blah, like it didn't even it didn't even come out as English. I don't even know what it was. Um, you can listen all you can listen to all the shows, and you can figure out which one it was. It was it was it was a difficult one, that last name. Don't worry about it. It's, it's literally no worries either way. All right, I really appreciate that. It's a very mature attitude. All right, uh, great guys in the booth. We good to go? Do you care anything? No, thumbs up. Awesome, um, Bill. Any uh, last minute concerns? Yeah, no, it's awesome. Should okay. be fun. Sounds fantastic. All right, um, I'm going to give him a little bit of dead air here to help him edit, and then uh, we will dive right in. <clears throat> so I actually haven't heard the outtakes yet. I uh, they get yeah yeah. Someday people do a podcast about growth hacks for podcasts, and they'll put outtakes in the yeah exactly. <laughs>